civilizational dinosaurs they always need something to feed upon and the latest that they have found is hindutva they're not bothered about uh, getting a drubbing in afghanistan from the islamists they're not bothered about uh, the marxists taking over their academia all they are bothered about is hindutva why let's find out and uh, please subscribe to the channel and for the contributions you can go to the link that is there in the descriptions and we join pandit satish sharma and vibhuti jha right away and welcome viewers and welcome pandit satish sharma and vibhuti jha ji and uh, i must uh, acknowledge to everybody that this term civilizational dinosaur is coined by pandit satish sharma ji so i think i will give him the first go at the civilizational dinosaurs cha pranam ji namaskar and uh, jai shri ram to Pranamji, namaskar, and Jashi Dam to all of the viewers. Um, thank you for joining us today. And uh, Sanjayji, thank you for putting me straight on onto the hot hot seat with this uh, this term, civilizational dinosaur. It's something that uh, occurred to me when I was studying uh, what Audrey was doing and trying to understand what could possibly be driving her. And I felt a little conflicted because a part of me. appreciate that she's a learned person well let's say a literate person and not necessarily learned but uh, there's so much good that she could be doing and yet underneath that uh, veneer of um, scholarly scholarly um, shall we say polish the character that shines through from time to time it's it's sad to see um, there's a maturity that uh, in our tradition we associate with scholars and it's a maturity which is typified by a desire to have no personal biases influencing or polluting the scholarship that you're entrusted with that's a very important characteristic with scholars who are trained like that students can rely on the fact that what they're being taught is actually going to be factual is going to be reliable they can build their own understanding on what the professors teach them and so it's a it's a shock and a disappointment to find somebody in such a prominent position who is clearly driven by what strikes me as the social drivers of a bygone age you know the manner in which audrey has chosen her particular field of study the manner in which she has chosen to create what i think rajivji called so well um, atrocity literature to take facts and then embellish them out of all proportion this was done several hundred years ago you know we we were quite clear that in 47 when the colonialists left we thought that their atrocity literature factories would have also closed down but what seems to have happened is all they've done is merely relocated to uh, to the united states but the manner in which she is trying to harm what the oldest continuous indigenous civilization on the planet it's very reminiscent of an old 
civilization, well, I would say civilizational in inverted commas, um, set of principles. And those principles, like the dinosaurs, are actually extinct. I think what we're witnessing is the, the last death throes of an ideology which was based upon white Christian supremacy. You know, it was based on an assumption, which was quite a remarkable assumption. And that assumption was that white people could actually go around the world and scrutinize non-white people without any constraints, without any um, repercussions, that they could do this. Unusual. Just, and the consequences yeah, just, of doing it in this way are totally different. Let's explore some of them. Hello? Hello? Just lost two for a bit, so can you repeat that? Ah, yes, civilizational dinosaurs. Um, all I was saying was that uh, Audrey seems to be following the mindset of a, a civilization which happily started its uh, death throes in 1947. The, the civilization which was that white Christian people are superior to everybody else. And they had the right to go into other nations, but also into other identities and wreak havoc. That's what I meant by civilizational dinosaur. It's an old philosophy and it's a tragedy to see that it's still got roots in somewhere um, uh, as preeminent as, as Rutgers. So we can explore the, the details of that um, civilizational dinosaur identity as, as we go through. And I'm sure Vibhutiji will have some wonderful um, contributions on that as well, being our man on the ground, as it were. Okay. <clears throat> so, Vibhutiji, uh, can we have the updates on uh, what's going on in Rajas? Uh, <clears throat> oh, yes, of course. I, I got, uh, uh, you know, a few things that I wanted to say before the update that Panditji said that I will say something beautiful about uh, about civilizational thing. You know, I'm happy about this event happening. You know, I thought a, a lot about this. You know, when your enemy begins to attack you on your own turf, that's a sign that he's getting desperate. And the enemy has entered into the academic domain, which ought to be our forte. Think about it from that perspective. The enemy has landed on academic domain and definitely they are in decay that they can't find anything else to attack us. And I was reading you know, the entire material of the conference that is upcoming and the entire panel discussions and everything else. And interestingly, Panditji, you mentioned about white supremacy, their last panel is on Hindutva and white supremacy. Think about it like that. So, so among other things, there are things that attracted my attention. And this is important to bear in mind that Trushke in her, in her tweet said, co-sponsored by 45 plus centers slash departments at 40 plus universities, do consider attending to learn more about the threat and power. These are the two words she has used. The threat and power of Hindutva in our world. Guess what? I didn't know that we had so much power. <laughs> yes, that's very heartening to know. <laughs> it's heartening to know, right? So she has now made it from an academic freedom of discussion, a remarkable political agenda to identify the threat we pose, a faith, a belief system, and people who have never posed any threat to anyone, right? 
we can talk about the power part of it. We have commanded enormous spiritual power, which is ours. The power of uh, power of meditation, power of uh, you know, gyan, yoga, spirituality. We have brought to the world. You know, those are things that are important, and it is in this context that I'm happy this is going on, because there is there there is a often a consternation and disappointment amongst us Hindus that we united. So I always say that wearing a blue shirt or an orange shirt or a certain shirt and a tie doesn't unite people. Unity comes behind a purpose and an objective. We have now an objective and a purpose that we are not the way we are projected out to be. But it is also very important that in this tweet, she also poses threat to the number of Hindu CEOs who are there in American corporations. As if it is a Hindu domination. You see the scare which is coming from to intimidate them to submission. And that's what is important. So, so at least now they will be woken up to fund the Hindu causes. <laughs> that's right. They must arise. <laughs> they must arise or say that is bogus. And I would hope, I'm, I'm disappointed with five Hindu uh, congressmen who represent Democratic Party in Congress. Not one of them has commented on this insidious event that is happening. But I wanted to give you some interesting update, which I received from Hindu American Foundation, which is doing a tremendous work on that. And I got the message from them. Received a leaked list of many of the actual departments and centers of groups sponsoring the DGS conference, misusing their university's logo. Anonymous organizers seek to hide these, but we will begin to list these programs in the coming days. The list includes Georgetown University's Bridge Initiative, funded by a Saudi prince, Ambedkar Initiative at Columbia, and a Facebook group called Social Justice Global South, not even affiliated with an Ivy League school, but still used its name. What is important here to bear in mind is that this is a deceitful, deceptive exercise where they are lying right from the beginning. Whatever their three-day panel discussions are all about, which is about gender, sexual politics of Hindutva, Hindutva, science, and healthcare, you know, what is global Hindutva, political economy of Hindutva, Caste and Hindutva, your favorite topic, Sarmaji. I think you will join there. <laughs> I would love to, but I fear they would discriminate against me. There you go. Wonderful. Touche. Is it an open to everyone discussion? It is for people who have to register. So I have okay. requested some people register, record, and find out. I mean, let me be open about it. Let's, what, what are they talking about when they talk about Hindutva propaganda and digital ecosystem, right? That's our problem. We don't even talk about ourselves. So where is the propaganda? something like, I feel very excited about this. The enemy has given us a weapon and chosen a field where we are good at. The field of... <laughs> Debate and dialogue. My thoughts, initial thoughts. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Padiji. So, uh, shall I pick up the civilizational thread with this? 
No, but uh, the civilizational dinosaurs have been very good at devouring people. <laughs> and, uh, that, uh, you, you look at the evidence which is strewn all across the uh, all, all across the uh, North America itself. The way the people of the civilizing missions destroyed the natives in so many ways. And they have the gall, especially this uh, lady, Audrey Trushke. She is not disclosing her evangelical contacts. And uh, the names that Vibhutiji uh, has taken makes it obvious that these are the kind of groups that are inherently inimical to Hindus. And therefore, they're trying to brand us. And well, they're trying to give a different meaning to Hindutva. Uh, we are pride, proud, absolutely proud to be a Hindutvavadi, at least I am. Uh, I, I, I don't know whether uh, politically incorrect speech is allowed in the US or UK. Paniji. Well, you just mentioned the, uh, a glimpse into their past, but let's just open it out a little bit more. If I were to say that uh, it's possible for a person to have both historical amnesia but also academic tunnel vision. You know, what sort of a scholar does that produce? The capacity to ignore the fact that she is a white Christian settler descendant of an occupying civilization, which established itself on the ground where she stands through horrific violence and horrific acts, atrocities, um, deceit, the, the, the catalogue and the list is endless, and yet all of that can be momentarily forgotten as she stands there and starts to poke and prod in another civilization where her civilizational descendants robbed, raped, pillaged, stole $45 trillion worth and killed at least 80 million people. So we have this, uh, this, this person who is standing in occupied land, the descendant of one of the most barbaric recently barbaric civilizations that humanity has ever known and she's standing there forgetting all of that she's not noticing that actually around her there is a living indigenous civilization who are desperate to recover from what her ideological family and her ideological ancestors have done in that very land but we can ignore all of that let's put that to one side we can ignore the fact that over a hundred nations were colonized. And isn't colonized such a nice way of hiding civilizational genocide and ethnic cleansing? You know, when you say colonized, it makes it sort of um, old history, doesn't it? That, that happened such a long time ago. But the facts underneath that word are actually horrific and gory in the extreme. And she can ignore all of that and yet seems to stand there with some sort of notional credibility that she can actually create a straw man identity and thrust it upon us find us guilty, convene what seems to me to be like a, um, a pseudo-academic kangaroo court where she is the judge, she is the prosecution providing the evidence, and she's also the jury having presented the outcome of this trial. And somehow or other, that can masquerade as an academic conference. I find that strange in, in the extreme. You know, this uh, uh, straw man creation, this is something that has been a part of the Christian missionary mission for a long period of time. If you think 
here in the United Kingdom, where it all started, um, ladies who had wisdom, women who were wise, were branded as witches and killed in their hundreds of thousands. All across Europe, they were burnt. And all of this was done after a straw woman was created. The, the image was created that they were demonic, that they used to ride on broomsticks. In fact, I would say that um, Audrey's academic predecessors were the authors of that uh, horrific Christian text, Malleus uh, Maleficum, the Hammer of Witches. They actually produced a text that the Christian church did, which described how you could identify a witch and what you would have to do with her. And all of that was edicts went and killed a huge number of innocent women all across the continents. So this is the principle and when we look at Audrey's work, it, it comes back to my mind that actually she's doing the same thing. In the Deep South, they have this saying, don't they? You need hate to hang a dog because everybody lo loves dogs. Before you can get them to hang it, you have to instill hatred. And then people will say, oh, well, it was not a good dog anyway. It's, there's nothing wrong in the, the fact that it's been hanged. And so Audrey is carrying on, as far as I can tell, this old tradition of painting the heathen as a savage in need of saving and if they can't be saved then we have to defeat them we have to diminish them we have to deny them their own authority you know what really strikes me as strange is that in the united states it's now accepted that a person can choose their own pronoun yes so <laughs> whether they want to be called he or she but we as those terrible Hindutvadis, we're not even allowed to, to create and define our own identity. We're not allowed to define and say, this is what our own language means. You know, for us, Hindutva is very simple and straightforward. It means Hindunas. The Tva is very straightforward. It's used in many places from Tatva. Hindu defines the civilizational label. So Hindunas is what we are. And yet she is contorting and, and contorting and twisting that word, infusing it with uh, prejudice and hatred, and then using her platform to proliferate her understanding amongst many people who innocently don't know who we are. So we can't even define this is what it means to be a Hindu, but Audrey Trushke, sorry, Professor Audrey Trushke, can actually define that for us. Doesn't that sound so colonialist? Indeed, it does. Absolutely, it does. And Vibhutiji, uh, so what are the measures that we are taking to counter? The measures which are happening is a response and not a reaction, and I'm happy about that. Okay. Uh, Pandiji, Pandiji very nicely put it about the about the issues of colonization and everything else, they make you feel inferior. And then, then, then they try to impose it on you. And that's where the, the we, we have to emerge out of the, we have to emerge out of the colonial mindset, which is critical. That's a long-term play. But every long-term play begins with a, every test match begins with the first ball being bowled. So the first ball being bowled is, is happening. And you know, on 30th or 31st of August, I think uh, HAF is organizing a seminar, which is about dismantling Hindu phobia. So there Sorry. would be there would be one, and there are other things being played upon. One of them is 
ask the same universities that are doing what they are doing today, becoming co-sponsors, is also to ask them to talk about dismantling international Islamic terrorism. Let's see if they sponsor that, right? So there are there are things that are in play, and I hope it happens. But there is a definite concerted play going on. Institutional arrangements are becoming stronger. The politics of hate is getting distorted. Uh, you know, is 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 being recognized. And there is one important thing I must say. This is slightly funny, that people are becoming aggressive in their response. So when Washington Post today complained about Indian food being one taste, one curry. Of all people, Padma Lakshmi tweeted something which sounded music to me. She said, oh, 1.3 billion people F off. <laughs> she said, it's quite, own... it's quite lovely, isn't it? To hear <laughs> our people using the vernacular of the, uh, the no. oppressor. Of course, the tweet was deleted later on by later on, but it stays on. So that's what I'm saying that people have begun to get noticed and notice these kind of vicious stupidity. You know, it is important. I mean, think about it. Has anybody ever complained about food habits of other countries? Obviously, that guy is totally ignorant. Even dosa tastes different between Kerala dosa, Tamil dosa, Kannada dosa, and Andhra dosa. He doesn't even know that. The chutneys are different. The food is different all over the country. And this guy talks about one curry, one flavor. And the so cooking medium about... is different. The cooking medium is different everywhere. Right. Everywhere the spices are different. Now, you may not like all foods. You know, like nobody has. Nobody forces you to like a food. But I know that the one of the Indian chefs who was a victim of coronavirus, he won his uh, the big chef award by cooking his final item that was upma. So the point of the matter is that there is delicacy involved when we notice, we have to begin to notice and recognize that the attack on us is coordinated. And I think it is driven by more by fear, as much by fear, because they realize that Sanatan principles have arrived. The, 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 the value of our principles are very relevant in modern world today. Because look at all the religious magicians have disappeared for the moment. They are in their cave or their bunkers. But nobody is trying to invoke any particular God's message. You know, God is not helping. God says, as you sow, so you reap. So that's the, that's the point which is very important for us to recognize. It's literally like a relay race, you pick up the baton and run. And that's what we need to do. Nature is in our favor, it's calling us to respond. And there is, and I must say this to you, that what has happened in America or the West world, as also can also put in his word if he agrees with me or anything else, is that people have suddenly realized that the vicious attacks on things Hindu that is happening around the world is making us get up and realize are we that bad? That is a question that every Hindu must ask of himself. All these accusations, the damn accusations that are coming on us, are we that bad? The answer is definitely within yourself. No, we are not like that. We are not the ones who are threatening anybody. We have never threatened anybody in history. On the contrary, we have been home to every persecuted religion in the world. It's almost a cliche that everybody knows. That's the point which I'm trying to say here is that we have to get 
onto the front foot, my favorite phrase you always say, although we have to sometimes play on the back foot as well. But uh, you know, well, you 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 can't play a bouncer off the front foot. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we have to play the ball. You have to play. Take the thing and take it head on. Let's put the different phrase on that. We have to take the head phrase, and this is what is important. This is also a moment for us to recognize that while we know that hope is not a strategy, but strategy does give hope a possibility, and that's the mood that we have to get into. strategize t20 50 over or a five day test match get into the strategic frame of reference this is where you have to begin to play and i think we are getting into that mood i am and if i take myself as a sample i'm you know i'm sure there are more than 50% people who are now looking at a leadership role sharma ji and myself we are frequently on clubhouse Sharma ji is the star of clubhouse loved by <laughs> many and you know i always say that there is a there is a, so much energy and you see this energy and flow of knowledge that is existing there it needs to be channeled my favorite phrase energy follows attention and that's where we have to the leadership of uh, hindu communities in various forums have to begin to channel that energy it's phenomenal and this awakening has been amazing i'm so proud of these youngsters who have come on the facebook and other social media channels you have no the discussions that are happening are amazing yeah it sometimes it is bouncers and chuckers going all over the place but then hey that's the nature of the game <laughs> it will happen but we have to play the ball right it is it's passionate it's passionate it, it is it is and may i ask pandit uh, satish sharma how about reversing the gaze they are talking about their civilizing missions trying to demonize uh, hinduism oblique hindutva of course i do not see any difference between the two terms and call it hindutva for all you like i don't care in fact i would love to be called a hindutvavadi as i mentioned earlier but what about uh, the things like the residential schools of canada who does that I'm sorry Sandeep ji I the the internet connection seemed to suspend for a moment could you just repeat that last bit of your question Yes I'm saying what about the residential schools of Canada <laughs> There doesn't seem to be a discussion about uh, it Well I think it's long overdue So let's just uh, uh, come back to to Audrey for a moment because as as Hindus you know we are civilization builders we look at an imperfect situation and we look to what can we contribute to improve it we're not the sort of people who go for cancel culture and say no no this offends us so get rid of it we always find well if it's half empty glasses then let's see what we can do to fill them up so i was trying to understand audrey's mindset and why she has become so unpleasantly uh, aggressive towards us in in the very recent years and it struck me that um there is uh, she she is in a very difficult situation imagine for a moment we have a saying don't we in the the land of the blind the one-eyed person is king so imagine the setup of the academic uh, institutions in the united states right they know nothing at all about bharat its history or anything like that in fact um the, the general knowledge of the average american is something that many jokes are made uh, about because there is such a paucity of awareness of what's happened in the world and who they are and what their place is 
um, I spent two or three weeks in uh, the United States. And I remember after the second week, I was getting withdrawal symptoms because there was absolutely no news coming about what was going on in the world. It was all about baseball, about American football, about American wrestling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the American people actually have such a, a, a lack of knowledge about the history of the world. And so somebody like Audrey pops upon the scene with her missionary background and starts to make all sorts of statements which purport to be historically valid and historically based. They don't withstand scrutiny. And the issue is that she's in a situation where she's now built a career and a reputation. And, you know, we have on record now that she's made statements such as uh, Ram was a misogynistic pig or something like that, an inference or something. And not only is that deeply offensive, but it's also factually completely inaccurate. And there is no evidence to support that that was ever remotely a possibility. Uh, it's not an interpretation at all. And yet those people around her who are in academia, they probably wouldn't have a clue. And the more salacious, the more sensationalist, the more um, ridiculously unreal her presentations, perhaps the more appetite um, uh, is, increases amongst her fellows. And so she's been feeding this um, machine for quite some time. But then what happens is these troublesome Hindu students who've learned the language in which she has been doing this start to say, well, hang on a moment, just hold on. This isn't quite right. Sanskrit scholars in Bharat start to look at the work that she says has been produced with academic rigor and say, well, actually, she hasn't a clue <laughs> in terms of what she's talking about. Not only is the, um, uh, the academic um, level of skill required to understand our scriptures so far beyond her, but the, the subtleties which uh, a person of uh, stable character has acquired are also absent. And so there is now a tsunami of karmic evidence coming back to her, which will establish, I think, conclusively that um, you know, the empress has no academic clothes. And that must be a really frightening situation to be in. Can you imagine being in a situation of prominence where much of what you have published is complete and utter gibberish and has no grounding in fact, especially in a department which says that it's a history department. You know, it doesn't say that this is a, a fiction writer's club where you can produce whatever you wish and then just because nobody can understand it, you can get a pat on the back and receive a, another big grant. Um, that, is, that is an academic fraud, isn't it? And in her situation, if I was unfortunate to find my, myself in that situation, I'd be deeply, deeply worried. But not only that, you know, much of what she has published, it can be seen as an attempt to dehumanize an indigenous population. Much of her writing deprives us of the right to be considered as human beings, as parents, as fathers, as brothers, sisters, as workers, as, you know, decent people who have all of the simple goals that, um, uh, most human beings have and enjoy. Um, but no, no, we're Hindutvadis. You know, she can pull out this term and brandish and paint it all. And everyone who disagrees with her is some sort of um, RSS clone and, you know, sort of a, a demonic robot. And all of this is nothing other than dehumanization propaganda. And we know where dehumanization propaganda leads to. So in her situation, I could understand why she would become more strident Perhaps you've seen the video recording of her last visit to Bharat, 
where she was having a conversation and some gentleman challenged her on her um, on her publishing and on her statements and she immediately lashed out to him playing the the feminist card she accused him of misogyny or something like this and that's not the act of an academic an academic who is on firm ground who has done solid research and published wonderful revelatory material would happily be able to defend their position on the strength of the material and not resort to ad hominems and yet we see ad hominems they, they seem to have become a fundamental part of her communication not only with the wider hindu community who she dehumanizes and vilifies but now also with the hindu student body and this is now a, a step too far you know you mentioned residential schools and I think it's worth bringing to the attention of people who perhaps haven't seen residential schools um, in, in Paris. But residential schools are those schools where white Christian American settlers who were occupying the land, they used to take, often at gunpoint, children of the Native Americans and take them and hold them hostage, put them into camps and into schools where they were imprisoned and the, the motto was, kill the Indian, save the child. And firstly, you know, it strikes me that that whole occupying force was still talking about these peoples as Indians. And, you know, this gives you an indication of the quality of their understanding of how the world works. They were um, about six, six to 8,000 miles in the wrong direction of India. But they, was, they were talking about kill the Indians, save the child. This was the philosophy and the ethos in these residential schools. So children were beaten if they spoke their own language. They were beaten if they used their own names. They were literally abused day and night. And there is now a very large body of uh, voice coming from America and from Canada, which is saying this was done to us. And yet when I think of Rutgers now, you know, the phrase that springs to mind is Rutgers Residential School. Because what Audrey is doing in principle, in character and in and in intent, as far as I can tell, is to traumatize Hindu children, to demean their ancestry, to create a rift between who they are and how they think of their parents and their family to such a degree that that child becomes traumatized. For me, this is psychological abuse. And that's what was done in the residential schools. So Rutgers Residential School, this is, I think, a valid description. And I would really love an opportunity to have a, a conversation. I think the president is Jonathan Holloway, who from what I've seen him seems to be quite a reasonable man. But I think it's a valid question to ask him under his watch, under his management, why is it that in the 21st century, we Hindus are being subjected to Rutgers Residential School? Rutgers Residential School, okay. That's a wonderful term. I think that should take the whole thing by storm. I think it's a valid it's a valid question. And as I said, we're all talking about academics. We're all talking about facts. We're all talking about records and history. And I would love for my hypothesis to be scrutinized and for it to be defeated. It certainly holds much more water than much of what Audrey has published as history. Quite right. In fact, uh, let me play the devil's advocate, Vibhuti uh, ji. If I am a white racist, I would find what Aurangzeb is doing 
to be perfectly valid because uh, then he would also be as a fellow abrahamic would just be carrying out the civilizing mission that his faith has taught him exactly as the bible has taught this to the white racist so i think the white racist can very easily understand the position of an islamic zealot so for adetrushke to be a defender of aurangzeb i think is just natural what do you say i think i can't disagree with that not only that if you notice if you came across this recently she received million dollar grant millions of dollars of grants from national education endowment and one and rutgers university of arts and history uh, department of arts and history giving her money to study indian history from year 2000 to 2020 so you can see the how the game is being played and we need to take cognizance of this can't ignore it because now what you know is that whenever two or three years later she will come up another concocted story against us against hindus aurangzeb too not surprised there at all and i think pandit ji is absolutely right we have to contest that and believe it or not in our internal groups that we are having a conversation we have called upon indians living in new jersey to become more aware get real because your children are studying in rutgers university whole lot of indians are studying there so residential school is probably relevant can't be ignored because they are being attacked that you being a hindu is an evil and you have to be ashamed of being a hindu so when you have such a concerted attack i made inquiries with some of the professors i know that why aren't you rising up why aren't you asking questions of your fellow colleagues and challenges that some of the people are afraid of her so so there is a there is an issue here but what i am glad about as i mentioned earlier on that this is an academic field if there is an academic freedom to one that academic freedom has to be given to others and others as well if we don't claim that academic freedom that means we are ceding our ground and our territory and that's not okay that's for us to rise and fight so the issue here is again back to the thinking is that there is a price and a cost i bring the thing from economics and business when people ask me what will it cost to do something i tell them nothing because if you don't do anything it doesn't cost you anything but there is a price to pay for doing something right and there is a cost you pay for not doing something so that's the interesting element that we have to understand that we have to pay a price for doing something and there will be a heavy cost if we did not do anything and that once we begin to understand that relationship it becomes easier to take an action whether to invest or save is a function of what decision you make but you have to make that decision and that decision time has come for us happily for us and i'm happy about it as concerned i am i'm i'm happy about the turf is ours i'm concerned whether we will take it up or not because that's the typical inertia that sets in us from time to time energy must follow attention the same question is addressed to you pandit ji it's a it's a valid question and uh, 
I think the the conclusion that you've drawn is entirely correct. It's uh, irrefutable. You know, when when one considers this whole dynamic, it, it seems really odd. Remember, we're an uh, we're a civilization which I think in 859 AD Nalanda was established, and at that time there were other centers of learning. We had what was the preeminent learning institution in the world established at that time. And at that time in Britain, they were still beating each other over the head with uh, the thigh bones of antelopes. And, you know, it was a very barbaric culture. And that was an academic institution, which was, I, I think it was uh, held in awe. We had visitors from China, we had visitors from the northern parts, from Russia and other places coming to learn. So we have a very old tradition of learning and teaching. Now, the tradition of learning and teaching, which Audrey has um, emerged from, is actually quite strange. You know, you can study mathematics, you can study plants, you can study rocks and all sorts of things. But where does one get the moral authority to study another human being? It's offensive in the extreme. You know, I find it, I couldn't turn my eye to the English as a subject of scrutiny in the same way that I would scrutinize perhaps insects and uh, things of that sort. I wouldn't, if somebody were to come into my home and start to criticize the furnishings and start to find fault with the manner in which I was bringing up my children, you know, rightly I'd be offended and no decent person does that. You don't intrude into areas where other people's private civilizational sensitivities and achievements are, are enshrined. And yet for some reason, the, there is a, a school of people who call themselves Indologists, and they seem to think that it's perfectly okay to poke and prod in other people's personalities, in other people's psychology, in other people's wounds, as though they have some divine right to do so. And they don't. It's extraordinary. I often feel that um, this whole profession of Indology it's actually nothing more than a gospel which has been inflated to such a degree. They've almost created an industry which operates on nothing other than misinterpretation, misrepresentation and gossip. And they pat each other on the back as though they have you know, discovered something. Um, they created a whole civilization of what I call gawkers with opinions. You know, all they do is gawk. They don't understand what it is they're looking at. And then they can conjure up out of thin air opinions about living civilizations. And this image, as far as I'm concerned, really captures the whole species who call themselves Indologists. Why on earth would one human being want to do that to another human being? It's not a pleasant thing to scrutinize somebody else and rummage around in their um, history and psychology. You know, there was a time during colonial, um, the madness that we call colonialism, where they felt they had to do it in order to civilize, civilize us and to save us. But that time's gone. You know, the white savior should have been buried when the British left. But that's also part of this mentality. Because we are superior, we have the right to look at every aspect of your being, your history, all of your warts and all of your beautiful creations, and we hold the right to judge them, even though we don't understand most of what we're looking at, but we assume the moral right to be able to do so. It's unacceptable. There is no place for any white savior person to be commenting on any of the aspects of the indigenous nations 
Certainly not until they have scrutinized themselves and their own history in the same manner and rectified the harm that they have done to three quarters of humanity over a period of 280 years. That is a vast amount of karmic baggage for them to put in order before they even glance at anybody else and anybody else's um, actions. They have absolutely no moral right to do so. And it's about time we deprive them of the platform for doing this. And I'm really hoping that um, Jonathan Holloway, who is, uh, as far as I can gather, a fair-minded and uh, genuine person, scrutinizes the right of white people to continue this atrocious and um, demeaning activity, which they somehow call Indology and Oriental Studies. It's reprehensible. No, no civilized person would do this to another civilized person. And the fact that they can't even see that this is what they're doing, it really is um, worthy of study, isn't it? Perhaps all of the indigenous civilizations should get together and consider studying this tribe, these Angles, you know, this, this crazy tribe which emerged out of Northwest Europe called the Angles, who then proliferated and spread violence through to England and to other parts, and then spread it right across the whole of the globe. Now that's a subject worthy of study. Perhaps we should return the favor that they're doing to us. Certainly we would find a lot more material worthy of a multi-million dollar grant from the American government. And perhaps we might even get to a stage where we can address these old civilization wounds that need to be healed on all of the continents of the earth. So yes, I think you're, you're totally right. I agree with that entirely. And what uh, Vibhutiji was mentioning about the support that seems to have been coming, well, the support that is alleged to have come, but it seems that um, all of these logos are just dropping like dominoes now, aren't they? <laughs> A little bit of scrutiny and they're all tumbling and disappearing from their website. But when we scrutinize those, I think we will find two types of um, uh, professional scholars, shall we say. We will find those who are firmly part of this racist, colonialist camp, who have also built careers and credibility on what is going to be seen to be a pack of lies, uh, a pack of very vicious lies. Or alternatively, we will find the products, the successful output of the residential school philosophy. And we, sadly in Bharat, we have a lot of people. Macaulay summarized it so well when he said that we want to create a, a group of brown people, but who behave like white people inside. And we know what a traumatic, uh, what a traumatized creature that is. And we know how such a person is so desperate for uh, approval from the, the white Christian masters. And so it'll be interesting to see who pops up out of the woodwork to defend Audrey in the indefensible. Uh, okay, uh, this this situation. Remember, after nine eleven, the reputation of Muslims in the United States was uh, absolutely in the pits, and uh, yet they seem to command more respect today than the peaceful Hindus, who have never really outraged any civilization, never destroyed anybody. I don't think that there is any organized Hindu terrorist movement anywhere in the world, even though the Hindu diaspora is uh, quite strong in uh, a number of places. So uh, how do you explain this uh, ultra-defensive apologetic behavior of the Hindus? It does uh, 
being peaceful also make one cowardly <laughs> a very valid issue very very valid issue that sometimes you know i i ask this question why is the western leadership political leadership western communities are bending backwards or or prostrating in front appeasing and pandering to please a group of people who don't hesitate to hesitate or fight shy of abusing everything that you have your every value and they believe that their value is the only one to be imposed yes. look at what is happening in afghanistan right look at that way so the question here is very simple after 911 they were under attack because it was a vicious absolutely rotten thing to do what what they began to do after that there is a thing that you you we often use the word purva paksha and i to english translation i say understand the nature of the beast they understood the nature of the beast call america and the west they are driven by money profit considerations capitalistic tool and they began to take advantage of that so i was told about this i think i have shared with you and your audiences that soon after 9/11 9/11 happened and i was told that we will use every play item from your democratic playbook to take advantage of everything that society offers you offer freedom of religion i will insist on making mosques and trying to educate you about us because we are so misunderstood right the reality was that i told them that you are not misunderstood you are understood exactly the way you are conveying what you need to do is to open centers in your countries to educate them the way we live and what matters to us but the western part of it has become very woke and politically correct culture that we want to be accommodative we want to be assimilating and we want to look like we are the one melting pot the real reality is that when you try to melt put things in the melting pot one flavor gets distorted the dominant flavor becomes to become dominant and that's what is happening in america they are trying to if you put adrak or lasun or mirchi that becomes the flavor of the melting pot the question here is very simple these people are taking advantage of the american gullibility and their desire to be seemingly nice to everything around them and they are taking full advantage of that so world trade center was demolished and there is a islamic center in right next to world trade center where the new one built we are passive we prepare we play the game like like my somebody used to say we are digambar jains chalte hain you know like nothing matters to us and that's element of non involvement in the process of the actual political engagement you end up being nobody nobody cares for you it's like we talked about the respect and appreciation there is appreciation for what we do but there is hey you we are taken for granted or oh, these are peaceful guys don't worry about them we can handle them and we are very self satisfied santusht hum bahut jaldi bahut santusht ho jate hain as a result of which we say jo bhagwan ne diya hamare paas aa gaya what we forget that if you in this society if you don't demand you don't get if you don't ask nobody listens you be what wherever you are so i am totally in agreement with you but what is happening now is thanks to the technology part of it people are becoming more and more aware and that awakening is stirring up people 
to ask questions and uh, you know these days you can ask questions to anybody but what is also happening is that we are not organized yet the way we need to be because despite all our wisdom knowledge with with the vedantic tradition and everything else we are not organized as much as we want to be and we suddenly we we fall into the trap of a satrap mentality and that we have to emerge out of that so if we do emerge out of that satrap mentality sanjay dikshit satish sharma vibhuti jha pushpendra kulsreshtra tarik anwar tarik fateh anybody who is doing something let everybody do his bit not everybody wins the man of the match award in every match there are different players who win man of, man of the let everybody be the man of the match let them ev- let everybody do what they can and individually and collectively we have to begin active participating in understanding the strategic and transactional content of any anything that is happening to us here so i think it is gathering momentum big time and i'm hopeful i'm an incorrigible optimist so you know i i am hopeful things will emerge dharma will win okay uh, before we go to the audience questions one last word to pandit ji thank you um sanjay ji oh wonderful i'm back um so what i think has happened right, is the ordinary has been used to pointing the finger and nobody has ever pointed back and all of a sudden she's discovered that famous adage that we have that when you point one finger at somebody else three fingers end up pointing at you and what's happened now is that the whole of the hindu community is saying well you've been pointing at the finger at us and accusing us of all sorts of completely inappropriate and unjustified um, accusations here are three fingers back at you whether it's haf whether it's our wonderful student bodies in the us whether it's people like rashmi samanth whoever it is the hindu community is now saying okay we will point the fingers back at you and let's see how you survive under the withering scrutiny that you have been directing at us and i really hope that we are participants in an evolutionary process for the american academia because it has a huge amount of human investment in time resource and all sorts of things and if we can help them to make this step which is what we've always done we've always helped people to reconcile and to confront the shadow inside of them and to deal with it and then move on to a much happier and safer place if we can help american academia do this and if people like ordinary other casualties along the route then i think that would be a wonderful step forward and it literally would be the reverse of what did they say kill the indian save the child and i think what we could possibly have is kill the racist and save the institutions now that would be a price worth paying so i i think that's uh, worth worth engaging robustly for for a period of time um just touching on the afghanistan issue i think that it's going to be more serious than anybody has ever expected so much so that i think america will be remembered um by future historians as the people who lit the fuse for so much suffering in the whole of that um central asian area and they did it by creating an incendiary situation providing the kindling creating an environment that has heat and then pouring the fuel onto it 
and then turning around and betraying everybody who they had extended a hand of friendship to. You know, there are history is made of small sound bites, isn't it? You know, we often think of beware of Greeks bearing gifts, and that's a reference to the Trojan horse, where the Greeks um, for millennia afterwards uh, are deemed to be untrustworthy when they, they bear gifts to you. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the future historians come up with something like beware of Americans bearing arms, because it has always backfired on the people who they've given these arms to so generously. Um, it's going to be a very difficult situation. I'm really hoping that the wisdom and the patience of the East starts to come through. I'm hoping that the compassion, uh, which is innate in the Afghan people, they're such lovely people. I have many friends over there, and they have been on the receiving end of such violence, which is colonialist. They have been on the receiving end of colonialist violence for such a long period of time. And I'm, I'm hoping that uh, those wiser heads and forces can come together and chart um, a course out of this without it escalating. But uh, what um, has been done by the American administration is such a betrayal. Somebody said to me the other day, they said, what's worse than having friends, what's worse than Americans being your enemies, uh, Americans being your friends? And this, I think, may well become the, uh, the, the shall we say, the, the carving on the epitaph of um, American uh, diplomacy. Okay, so now we wind up this discussion with uh, my one remark that uh, anybody who wants to look at this uh, seminar being hosted by Audrey Trushke must look at the list of speakers. And each one of them is a most rabid Marxist or Islamist. So much so that there is a certain Neha Dikshit and people are asking me, is she your relative? Well, I've just clarified in a tweet. <laughs> and I said that if uh, Ishwar makes you a Dikshit, then better be a Sanjay rather than a civilizational dinosaur like Neha. <laughs> anyway. And on that there is much note, work to do. There is much work to do. Quite right. So on that note, we uh, move to the question answers. And I request all the viewers to please uh, like this video, share it around as much as you can, because this is a very important issue. And I have to specially request you to share this video around as much as you can. And of course, uh, there's a small matter of subscribing to the channel and also giving a quiet look to the contribution link in the description.